Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Freedom of Species would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional owners of the land on which we broadcast today. We pay our respect to the elders of all of the lands on which we meet across Australia. Hello listeners, welcome to Freedom of Species. We're the radio show that brings animal advocacy to the airwaves. You just heard Sally with her show Out of the Pen with her weekly shows on queer and pansexual issues. She's on every Sunday at noon. I am Davita, your host today. I like to personally acknowledge the Rwandri people as the custodians of the unceded lands of the country I'm, I am speaking to you from. I extend my respect to the Wurundjeri elders in the past and present and to First Nations listeners tuning in today. My co-host today is Caroline. Hello, Caroline. Hello. How are you, Devita? I'm also calling to you from Wurundjeri land. I am uh, near Naringoling, which is Punarong uh, for Sweetwater Creek. Hmm. And it's great to do a show with you. Normally with we're with... Um, Trev or Nick or Adam, but now it's just us. <laughs> it is great to do a show with you too. Let's, I'm really looking forward to it. We got an exciting guest for you lined up today. Today we're honored to virtually welcome our guests from Canada, Joanne MacArthur. Jo is an award-winning photographer. She has extensively documented the many complex relationships we have with animals around the globe. In her body of work, We Animals. In 2019, she founded We Animals Media, the animal photojournalism agency, with a growing network of photojournalists and an incredible archive of pictures and other resources for animal advocacy. We Animals Media has published the book Hidden, Animals in the Anthropocene, that we'll be talking about today. Welcome to Freedom of Species, Joe. Thank you. It's really looking forward to this hour with you. Fantastic. Yeah, we're excited to have you and, uh, and for the opportunity to talk about your work and the book Hidden. But um, before we do that, in Freedom of Species, we usually like to also learn a bit more about people's personal journey into, into, into activism and your relationship to the non-human animals. So what is, what is the story? How did you get into, into activism? I think I always had an affinity for the underdog, whether they were human or non-human. And so I noticed the sadness of others. I noticed the loneliness of others, whoever they were. And, uh, you know, over time, I finally got educated and sensitized to just how complex non-human animals are. And I had been a meat eater my whole life and things started when I got to know some chickens and they were just like the dogs and the cats in terms of, you know, intelligence and complexity. And I thought, oh no, I can't eat, I can't eat chicken anymore. I'm going to have to be a vegetarian. I'm going to be so deprived <laughs> and all those things that we, you know, some of us worry about. 
but um, you know, it was a very peaceful and happy decision. And uh, so I've, I've covered a, many years in, in just a few sentences there, but uh, essentially I, I have, you know, since childhood made decisions that were in benefit of, you know, the lonely or the scared or um, yeah, those who needed help and those who need help are in the billions, mm. uh, but they're invisible. And that's mm -hmm. what we'll be talking about today are those invisible animals, the hidden animals. Um, the more I learned about their plight, uh, what they went through and how their stories were just invisible and disregard disregarded, the more as a photojournalist, I wanted to uncover those stories and share them with the world. Mm. Yeah. So you mentioned the chickens. Um, where did you meet the chickens? My mom moved out to the countryside for a few years and she bought 10 hens. Uh, they were just going to be layer hens. She didn't keep them caged up. She just, you know, they stayed in the barn and they came out every day. And I, she had two dogs, a cat and 10 chickens. And it was then that I got to know chickens. And just like the dogs and the cat, they wanted to come inside they wanted to hang out with us. There was one chicken who would sit on my shoulder at the dinner table, but, you know, while we were eating meat. And so it was really confronting. It doesn't really get any more confronting than that. Hmm. And actually I, I gave myself a, I, I so didn't want to be a vegetarian. So I gave myself a date like six months later. I was like, okay, January 1st, <laughs> because I just, you know, I thought it would be so hard. Um, and that's how people feel. I've really come around to understanding that when I first uh, stopped eating animals, I, I was like an, you know, an angry vegan and just wanting everyone to feel as I did and do as I did. And I had to go back and remember that, you know, I was also very hesitant because it was my culture and tradition and family life and everything to, to eat animals. So um, now my compassion extends, of course, very, very much to all the people eating meats and all the people making small and big changes on behalf of animals. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's really wonderful. And when did photography come into the picture to um, make a stupid board joke? But yeah, <laughs> how, how did your photography start to help your activism? Hmm. Well, I, um, I didn't know what I wanted to do when I grew up, so to speak. So I did go to university. I was studying English literature and geography. And I took a black and white printing course just as an elective. And on the second course, I knew that's what I was going to do for the rest of my life. I was so enamored with the process of, of printing and um, I had always loved storytelling and I had loved the storytelling of others and of my mother. She's great at that. And, um, I was always enamored with photos, but then all of a sudden it all just struck me. Um, I was, you know, I'm very curious about the world and why we do things. And the camera is, as I say, it's like an all access pass into the lives of others, uh, have camera will travel and see everything. Um, yeah, and actually, you know, I like being behind the camera, not not so much in front of it. And I get to be the way I want to be in the world when I'm a photographer, which is I get to be that curious person and like quietly behind the camera and uncovering people's stories and covering animal stories. Did that answer your question? I think I'm not sure. Yeah, absolutely. That's beautiful. What an amazing analogy that is, Joanne, that 
that the camera is an all-access pass into the lives of others. That's really, really fantastic. <sighs> That's how I feel about it. Mm -hmm. Or just reflecting on that and all of the incredible individuals that you have been privileged to to meet and um, and share their stories. Is there an individual um, animal that has had a, a you know a lasting impression on you that created a um, you know a real impact through, on on you in your um, activism journey? Yeah, you can imagine that there have been many, many, and. Um... I'll, I'll talk about a, a chimpanzee named Ron, and he was rescued from research, and uh, I met him when he was uh, in his 20s, in his late 20s, and he had lived in a five-by-five-by-seven-foot cage suspended above the ground for most of his life, the way someone might keep a canary, and uh, he was used in invasive research. Uh, what really struck me about he and I was that we were exactly the same age. We were born two months apart. Uh, I know this because I had access to all of his files after he was rescued. And, uh, you know, I thought about the chronology of our lives and how when I was a, a kid, like I was out climbing trees, but he should have been climbing trees, but he was in that cage and all that freedom I had, you know, was, his life was directly in opposition to that, like a 180 from my life, like just a life of terror. And I've had a long life. <laughs> I had had a long life till then, till I met him. And like all those minutes, all those moments. And um, when I was in university, I was studying and he was being studied. He had, uh, he was part of a spinal dynamics study in which a, a disc in his neck was removed and they didn't even give him pain medication for eight days. And um and he was a really gentle guy. So he was rescued when he and I were 26. And I met him at Save the Chimps. Uh, that's a sanctuary in Florida. And um, he was like the nicest chimp there. So he was the welcoming committee for all the new chimps. They would introduce him to Ron first. And uh, he had a huge sanctuary space to roam around in, but he chose to stay indoors with the humans, like near the humans. And he'd make a nest where he felt comfortable every day. And he just showed a remarkable amount of forgiveness considering how much he had been through and for so long. Mm. And um, he's one of the individuals that, you know, when I faced him and we looked in each other's eyes and I knew what he had gone through, like he just reinforced in me why I do what I do and why I will continue to, to do that work because he's just one of billions and, you know, compared to the factory farmed animals, there aren't many animals used in research. Of course, there are millions every year, but the, the fish that we're pulling up from the sea and that we're farming, we can't even count those numbers because the numbers are too high. We measure them in tons instead of as individuals. So there are a lot of animals out there that we need to fight for. And because I'm on the front lines, I've met them as individuals. I walk into a factory farm and I, you know, on one night, I might be at a factory farm with a million chickens. That is actually a thing. <laughs> like that's, it's hard to, hard to believe, but, and we can't feel that, you know, but when I'm walking through these barns all night, barn after barn, I'm meeting all of these individuals who are in various degrees of suffering and confusion. And yeah, it's, it's, um, it's really something. So it's my job to show the size of industry, but it's also my job to show those individuals like the chickens, pigs, the fish, Ron, the bears, everyone I've met. Yeah. Yeah. And 
Yeah, as you mentioned, you've been on the front line in, in many countries and you also visited Australia. And how how did this country compare in terms of the work you do and the animals that you've met um, to other in, compared to other countries? Well, I would say that Australia is absolutely on par with all of the very developed countries who participate in industrial farming. And... Um, It's important for me to shoot in many countries because as a spokesperson for animal advocacy and animal photojournalism and animals themselves, I want to be able to say, you know, I've seen what industrial farming looks like and I've seen what the, the suffering looks like, be it Australia, Sweden, Canada, uh, you know, Vietnam, all these places, uh, all these places I've been to, I've been to over 60 countries now uh, to to document animal uses and abuses. And so Australia, I, I mean, pretty, pretty bad, just like, just like many, many places. Um, but I have photographed uh, almost every industry that you guys have there because I've worked with some really good people, good investigators and uh, the group Animals Australia as well. I was there recently with them during the climate fires. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And many listeners Well, maybe listeners have seen the the kangaroo, the the very uh, iconic picture of the kangaroo amidst the burnt forest, which is has become, I think, feel like also an yeah, a sort of poster image for the for the climate climate change crisis that we're going through. Yeah, it's really incredible how people are identifying the image that way. Mm. Uh, it continues to win awards, and as you say, it's. It's quite symbolic or emblematic yeah. of the climate crisis and what animals are going through. And we forget about the animals in the climate crisis, just like we forget about the animals conveniently at just about every turn. Yeah. 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 And maybe one more question before we um, have a quick break. But you mentioned in an interview that, um, yeah, for you, it's important to make contact with the animals when you make pictures. What is your experience in making contact with animals in those many different um, contexts that you find them? How, how do you do that? Well, I think um, in the way that I think you mean, um, we don't have a common language with even a lot of our own species. And it creates these divides, doesn't it? And it creates a lack of compassion And that's the same with non-human animals. We don't have a common language. And so they can't tell us when they're suffering. Um, they can't tell us a lot of things if we're not paying attention, especially. And so what's important when I'm photographing animals is to convey something that we can understand. And that's often through eye contact. And so you'll see that a lot of the, the animals that I photograph are looking at me. And if they're looking at me, then they're looking at everyone who's looking at the picture. Ron, the chimpanzee is looking into the camera. I can think of just like thousands of chickens and, and pigs and, and fish even. And a common uh, question that seems to be in their eyes, all of them in all of these industries, uh, research and entertainment and all of this is that they look at humans as Um, you know, a species that's going to hurt them, which we do. 
looks like it seems to me that when they look at me, the question in their eyes, the communication is what's next? What are you going to do to me? And that's quite clear with their body uh, positioning, their, their, um, their uh, body language, their eyes. And, and that's very important for me to see and to convey in my photos so that we can connect. Um, yeah. And connect with some of that, some of that basic physiological uh, common language. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do. I do stay wide open emotionally. I don't want to close down. Mm. Uh, as hard as as it is to bear witness to the suffering of others, it's important that I stay emotionally and psychologically open. I want to. I want to feel what they're feeling. I want to get a sense of what they could possibly be feeling, so that I can convey that mm. in an image. If I'm too closed down, I'm not going to take good pictures. Mm. Yeah. All right, let's take a quick break before we talk about um, hidden. And yeah, let's 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 go to a song. Um, Joe, which song did you choose for this for this show? Okay, so we'll start with the soundtrack "Into the Wild," and one of the songs on that soundtrack is by Eddie Vedder, and it's called "Guaranteed," and it's quite haunting and and beautiful and it's you know it's one of my favorite songs mm. uh, so i thought i'd love to to share that with you guys
Victoria, as we get ready to get back out there, you need to get your COVID-19 digital certificate ready too. First, create a MyGov account if you don't have one. Then, make sure your Medicare and MyGov accounts are linked. Then, add your COVID-19 digital certificate to the Service Victoria app. Then, get ready to go. Your vaccination is your ticket to everything you love and miss. For more on adding your vaccination certificate on your smartphone, go to coronavirus.vic.gov.au forward slash vaxproof. Authorised by the Victorian Government, Melbourne. A 3CR supporter. There are many ways that you can keep up to date with 3CR news, events and programs. With Facebook stripping content, it's a timely reminder to focus on the communication channels and platforms that the community controls. The 3CR website is a great spot to catch all your shows via audio on demand or scroll through our range of podcasts. It's also where you can sign up to our monthly newsletter, buy yourself a new t-shirt or check out archival audio from past broadcasts. Of course, we're also on Twitter at 3CR and Instagram at 3CR Melbourne. But don't forget our mighty AM band. Catch us anytime on 855 AM. Keep in touch. 3cr.org.au Welcome back listeners to Freedom of Species. You just heard Guaranteed by Eddie Vedder. We're talking about Hidden Animals in the Anthropocene, a book that We Animals Media has published. Hidden is an unflinching book of photography documenting our relationship with the hidden non-human animals in the 21st century. 40 photojournalists have contributed to this book with heartbreaking and show-stopping images. Joanne MacArthur, our guest today, has co-edited this book with Keith Wilson from the UK. In March this year, Hidden was awarded Photography Book of the Year by Pictures of the Year International. So, wow, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely an, a very impressive book. And Joe, yeah, we'd love to hear a bit more about how you feel Hidden connects to people. That's an interesting question because that's... Um in fact, not my primary goal with this book, which is incredible, isn't it? You think like the, the number one goal is to is to connect with people. And of course we want that, but I wanted to create a book that was a historic tome, like a five pound, um, you know, memorial really of what is and what should never again be. And uh, I'm very inspired by conflict photographers. I've always been enamored with, with what they do and why they do it. And, you know, they make these huge books about war and famine and genocide and all the things that we do to one another because these issues are important. And so in looking at those books, I thought, okay, one day I want to make a book like that. It's equivalent, their equivalent, you know, for animals because they deserve to be memorialized. They deserve to have their their story seen in a way that is historic, uh, in a way that doesn't just flash by on socials or in the news. And it's also a way of saying to the world, like, this is important. These animals are important. They're worthy of a book this size. They're worthy of this financial investment and the best designer we could find and the work of all of these writers and photographers. And, um, and so, you know, while not 
hundreds of thousands of people are going to buy this $100 heavy book, which is like a horrific thing to look at. The point is that the book was made and it's a conversation piece. And, um, you know, it, it, it gets these stories recognized in the world of media and science and the world of photography. I'm very interested in this kind of storytelling and these animals being um, more visible and like acceptable in the world of photography, which we know has always been uh, focused on humanity uh, or wildlife and conservation photography. Those are about animals, but often they're about pretty pictures of animals or, um, or they exclude domestic animals. And so what we did at We Animals Media is we actually named the, a new genre. Uh, we call it animal photojournalism. Photojournalism is about the human condition. Animal photojournalism is about the condition of all living animals. And I think it's an inevitable extension of conservation photography and photojournalism and conflict photography and, and all of these other genres. And so we named it. And what Hidden is, is a, a calling card for animal photojournalism. It's this big, massive, massive beast. Uh, like, you know, it's hard to ignore something that size. And mm. And it's not being ignored. Uh, animal photojournalism is being accepted. I'm being interviewed about it all the time. Uh, we're seeing more and more categories in photography competitions that have a, a greater focus on photojournalism because these are the stories that inevitably just need to be told, not just for the animals themselves, but because their stories overlap with climate change, deforestation, pollution, human rights, and so on. Mm. I, I'd love to know also, Joanne, about how you actually selected the photos that are in the book. And then I'll mention a photo that really has an impact on me, but perhaps we'll, we'll hear from you first if that's okay. I would love to hear uh, about that. Um, so for years now, I've been finding images you know, all over the internet, thinking in the back of my mind, someday I'm going to do something with this image. And so I had a folder on my desktop um, with a working title, Animals in the Anthropocene. And the Anthropocene is the proposed name for the current geologic epoch, basically, uh, you know, exemplifying human planetary domination is, is what that is. Um, anyway, I was, I was squirreling away images for many years. I was looking at investigations and just dumping photos into a folder. And when it was time to make the book, um, I needed a really strong co-editor because I was very attached to a lot of these images mm. and attached to my own images. And I knew that I wanted to have the work of many, many people because I wanted to also uplift their work. And uh, it's really meaningful to those photographers to you know, have one image or 10 images or 30 images in the book. It's, it's helpful for them and it's helpful for their you know, path in photojournalism. And so um, I asked Keith Wilson, who's also an Australian, if he would co-edit this. He's made many books and he's uh, an incredible expert with an incredible eye. Uh, when we sat down together in London, we went started by going through thousands and thousands and thousands of images from investigations and stuff I'd found from all over the world. And we started narrowing down, um, sort of culling the images that weren't as strong. But then we also had to cut out a lot of images that were really strong because they didn't fit the narrative. 
And so when you're building a book, each image has to match the next. There has to be a really strong flow. And so when we got down to about a thousand images, I was like, okay, Keith, this is yours. Uh, because I was just very attached to a lot of them. I think the book would have been crammed with images had I been the final editor. But we knew that we wanted uh, a lot of these images to be a double page spread, uh, a DPS, because they deserved that much space. And so though the book is like 320 pages or something, I think there's only about 208 images because they needed a lot of space. And uh, I trusted Keith to do that and our designer, David Griffin, uh, to make a, a really uh, poignant book. And I, of course, worked on all of that with them as well. But um, that's that was the process. It was hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's been very difficult. Was there what stood out in the in the images that you've collected over the years? Like was there something that that sort of speaks to you whenever you look at a picture? I think it's hard to photograph the masses of animals well. And um, so there's one image that really stands out and it's from South Korea and it's ducks being led towards a hole in the ground and everyone's wearing biohazard suits and these animals are being killed. I don't know how many animals were killed that day, but sometimes when there are these culls, because culls, there's that euphemistic word, kills mm-hmm. uh, because of fears of zoonotic diseases and, and viruses, whether perceived or, or real, uh, we kill animals in the millions and it's costly to kill them. And so an easy way to do it is to uh, live bury them And uh, so that's what you're seeing in this picture. And I never actually found out who the photographer was. It took me months to find how I could access and buy the print, the the image. And I bought it from a a photo agency there. I don't even think they know who the photographer is. Uh, But that's one of the images that I I, like. We we just like turned the world over (laughs) in order to to find it and get that image. And um also something about when we live bury animals. So those ducks are going to a hole in the ground and um, they're just going to cover it up. Or what they might do is um, throw some gasoline in there and light them on fire and then burn them. And we've seen that happen with pigs as well, which actually doesn't kill them. It just, you know, burns them and terrifies them. And like, I couldn't imagine a worse death than being burned and then buried alive. But these are the things that we do. Mm -hmm. Look, I think the image is... It's so, so incredibly powerful in so many different um, contexts and so many different locations, which also gives us this sense of the gravity of the billions and, as you say, the countless numbers of animals that we exploit across the world. But there is one image that um, I, I really had an impact on me for, for a number of reasons, and it's the photo um by Adam Oswell, and it's the tourists at the Kaokyo Zoo watching an Asian elephant that's forced to swim underwater for performances. So it had a huge impact on me because I absolutely adore elephants and think they are such incredible, complex, intelligent beings. But the power of this image for me was also seeing the... um, seeing the tourists, seeing the observers watching um, this elephant and, you know, people are taking photos and videoing and there's children watching. And so it's capturing also, I guess, that fascination that we have with animals 
And I'm sure many of the people watching that elephant are intrigued, are um, enjoying this experience, feel they're close to this animal. You know, so it's that duality of um, we, we do have an interest, a keen um, desire to better understand majestic animals like elephants and do not have many opportunities to get close to them. And yet it just just so heartbreaking to, for me to look at that. Um, and it, it was really a great example for me about how we do commodify animals um, in zoos and other entertainment complexes. And that's not, that's, there's not as much, I think, discussion around that as perhaps animals um, that we raise and slaughter for food or, or you know, um, yeah, I think there's sort of a whole issue around um, animals in zoos and, and other um, entertainment settings is, is, um, is really complicated. Well, you've spoken to that very well, and I'm so glad that you picked out that particular image by Adam Oswalt, also an Australian. <laughs> <laughs> we did some research before. No, I'm joking. <laughs> But, uh, you know, the world agrees with you, Caroline, because that image won recently uh, the title winning image in the photojournalism category, Wildlife Photographer of the Year, which is the biggest competition in the world for animal photography, nature photography. Mm. And what you said about the participants, the, the audience who is looking at this animal who could not be farther from their natural environment, fully submerged, being held down by that one, you know, that person, you see the one hand as though they're saying, telling the elephant, no, you stay down there. And elephants have to be broken to be, um, to be that complacent and to perform and do all the things we make them do. And we are just completely unaware. So I'll hear all these, you know, quote unquote, innocent people, innocent children for sure, who are just buying what they're being fed. You know, like we're supposed to enjoy this. It must be okay. You know, humans are great. We don't do anything bad. This must be okay. Mm. Um, so there's a real lack of critical thinking in our species. <laughs> uh, and um, I'm really... Looking forward to human education being a lot more widespread, uh, as important as math and sciences and all the things that we learn in school. We need to learn to be good people as well. And I think you're absolutely right about the commodification of animals. As you said, um, we often think, well, you know, how, how will I get to be around animals if there are no zoos? But what, who says we have the right to be around animals, mm. you know, outside of a common environment. We don't, but we're taught that. Yeah. And uh, we have many other and better ways for both us and the other animals to, to learn about them. And we know that now. Go to an IMAX. <laughs> <laughs> if you like gorillas so much, don't donate to their preservation, you know, and there's all sorts of things we could do. Mm. Yeah. Also with animals for entertainment, I'm so intrigued if you have to capture that because there are often contexts that we're used to seeing them, like we're used to, it's normal, quote unquote, to go to a zoo and, and watch leopards pace up and down the, the glass and other 
animals being confined in such terribly small um, cages. And so is it is it might it be more difficult for a photographer to capture the the cruelty in that, whereas compared to a slaughter a slaughter act, an mm. act of slaughter, you sort of that's the cruelty right there. Is that is that more difficult, do you think? Or um is there no such thing? Is it, of course I can imagine that all pictures are difficult to take. But um what's the process in that? What could be the process in that? Yeah, thanks for the great question. And what I often speak about when I'm giving my presentations on photography, especially the animals who are hidden in plain view mm. uh, in zoos, aquaria, rodeos, bullfights, and so on, when they're being used for entertainment. Um, often I'm standing in a crowd with other people next to me taking the exact same picture. Mm-hmm. And so what separates my image? What makes mine any different or more poignant? I do wait to photograph our interactions with them. All of my work has the human element in it because the work is about we animals fundamentally and how we are treating others. And so you'll always see the human element, element which makes the images a lot more poignant. But also as photojournalists, our job is to dig deeper and to tell a, a different story, a better story. Uh, an example going back to elephants is, um, no, you know what, I'll tell the story of Kiska, who is an orca here in Canada at Marineland. Um, she was, you know, like everyone around me was taking the same picture, but the picture I took is of all these people pointing at her. So the objectification is even more obvious, but um You know, other people don't add the story to, of her, you know, when they, when they, whatever they do with their images. But, you know, when you deep deeper, as I did with Kiska, you find out that she was wild caught off the coast in, of Iceland in 1979. And she has been swimming circles in what is ironically called Friendship Cove for decades. And, you know, she knew the wild. She was captured with her siblings and they died. She knew the wild and she was dropped into that tank. And it takes her less than a minute to circumnavigate that tank. And so this is what separates photojournalism from other kinds of, of photography is, you know, the staying longer, the digging deeper, the telling the stories, which really should make our jaws drop and see animals differently or, you know, see them at all. I don't think that we're really seeing the animals when we see them performing, mm. um, you know, whether it's performing at a bullfight or Kiska swimming in circles, what we are there for essentially is our experience, our edification. And uh, we're not giving them much thought or what their experience might be. Yeah. I was also wondering about the, Yeah, you've been asked this question one time where people were concerned about the pictures being immobilizing to their audience because they're absolutely, they're show-stopping, they're, they're unflinching indeed. And um, you mentioned that you value the, the action that people can take afterwards. So what, so that's, there's sort of two questions here. Like what sort of actions do you feel like people can take? What are some of the conversations that people can have um, using this book? And the second question is, yeah, what is the afterlife of this book? Where do you hope it ends up um, with what people and where? I hope the book ends up as a museum piece 
of what happened in the past and as proof of what should never happen again. Mm. And what can people do? Well, one of the easy things about helping animals is that we can all start immediately. You don't have to be a photojournalist. You don't have to be an animal lawyer. You can be, you know, on your daily route, going to the grocery store and you can buy different things. That's it. Mm -hmm. And you can go to sanctuaries instead of zoos. And you can vote for politicians who have animal welfare on their agenda. There are things we can do every single day. And sometimes it's a little bit and sometimes it's a lot. And, uh, but that's, that's the beauty of it. And we can speak up, you know, it's hard to go against the grain. It's very hard for most of us. Uh, it's hard to be the one who's speaking up for someone, someone else. Uh, it's hard to be the only vegetarian at the, at the table sometimes, mm. not like it used to be though. Uh, so <laughs> I definitely not like it used to be, but, um, I don't know if you, if you speak your truth gently and compassionately, um, I think there's, there's a lot we can do. Mm. Yeah. Wow. That there's so many more <laughs> questions I would like to ask about hidden, but, um, we'll take another break with another song. All right. So Joe, what's the, what's the song you've chosen? Um, there's a band that I still love from a couple decades ago and they're vegan and they're called dead Prez. Mm -hmm. And they sing about veganism and they sing about animal rights. And I like to uh, listen to them when I work out. And they have this really great song called Be Healthy. And I've just been bopping to that for, for decades. It's all love. It's all love. Vegetables, fresh fruit and whole wheat I'm from the old school My household smell like soul food, bruh Curry falafel, barbecue tofu No fish though, no candy bars, no cigarettes Only ganja, fresh squeezed juice from oranges Exercising daily to stay healthy And I rarely drink water out the tap cause it's filthy Lentil soup is mental fruit And ginger root is good hi, for hi, the youths Fresh vegetable with them high stew Sweet yam fries with the green callaloo Careful how you season and prepare your foods Cause you don't wanna lose vitamins and minerals And that's the jewel Life brings life, it's valuable So I eat what come from the ground, it's natural Let your food be your medicine, uh -huh. no excedrin uh -uh. Strictly herbs and raised from the sun Cause I got melanin and drink water Eight glasses a day Cause that's what they say <laughs> They say you are what you eat So I strive to eat healthy My goal in life is not to be rich or wealthy Cause true wealth comes from good health and wise ways We got to start taking better care of ourselves They say you are what you eat So I strive to eat healthy My goal in life is not to be rich or wealthy Cause true wealth comes from good health and wise ways We got to start taking better care of ourselves Be healthy, y'all 
Yeah, 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 hold the fuck up, yo. Take this little intermission. Listen what the fuck we got to say, you know. World is born, son. Niggas been living fat for too long, know what I'm saying? Smoking bogeys, fucking drinking all types of shit. Wailing out, not giving a fuck what they put in their bodies, son. Know what I'm saying? About time niggas start thinking about that shit, son. Know what I'm saying? That shit is fucking making us deteriorate, son. Word up, we got care about our little babies and shit, son. Niggas got kids to raise. Straight up, you gotta start learning yourself, learning about your health, son. Learning this world we live in, kid. Know what I'm saying? It's time to start changing all that shit, God. Word up. So I'ma leave y'all niggas on some shit like that, you know what I mean? Word up, your niggas better start using your minds and shit, kid. Peace. You're listening to Radical Radio 3CR. Common Social Change Library is an online collection of educational resources for those campaigning for social change. It collects, curates and distributes the key lessons and resources of progressive movements around Australia and across the globe. The library includes over 500 resources covering campaign strategy, community organising, activist history, digital campaigning, diversity and inclusion and much, much more. It's free to access the library, so check out the collection at www.commonslibrary.org. Common Social Change Library is a 3CR supporter. Welcome back, listeners. You just heard Be Healthy by Dead Press. We're on air today with Joanne MacArthur talking about Hidden. Would you be okay with also talking a bit about some of the other projects, um, for example, Unbound? Yeah, I'm so, I'm, I'm so glad you asked about Unbound because this is one of the solutionary stories that I love to tell. Mm. And so, yes, luckily I don't just do investigative work. Unbound is about women on the front lines of animal advocacy worldwide. And I created this project because everywhere I went, I saw women doing a whole lot of work and I saw men at the top of an organization or as their representative. And the more I did research, uh, I saw that it is indeed 60 to 80% women who make up animal advocacy. And I thought, okay, well, let's celebrate that. And so the project to date has, I think, over 60 features. We have short films and interviews and stories and photographs about people who are animal rights lawyers, people who are doing the grunt work day-to-day at shelters, uh, veterinarians, uh, sanctuary founders, uh, yeah, frontline people and like behind the scenes people as well, politicians, like we've got all sorts of people and from many countries and it's, um, it's a really fun project for everyone. And, you know, when I was growing up, I looked up to Dr. Jane Goodall I saw that incredible life that she had and the work that she was doing. And I was really inspired by that. I thought if she can have such a wild out there life, so can I. <laughs> and I want, <laughs> and I wanted, you know, to create a project that other people could, you know, see all these fantastic women and look up to them as well and say, wow, you know, I didn't know I could be an animal lawyer mm. or, you know, I didn't know I could be um, a journalist for animals and, and so on. And so I'm, I'm glad that we've, uh, we continue to produce a, a project that is just so inspiring to others. Mm. And also one last thing, it also helps the women who we feature. And uh, that was one of the side effects that I didn't really know. You know, I wanted to help give their work a voice and a platform. But one of the women who is a Buddhist nun in Taiwan 
and she's an animal rights activist and vegan. She used her feature in Unbound in part of an application for a grant, and she got the grant, and she credits Unbound and that you know international visibility to getting the grant, and it was two hundred thousand mm, dollars, like pretty awesome. Wow! So I'm I'm glad that you know the women featured are using using it to their advantages. I think that's great. Absolutely. I think it's just an extraordinary project. It's so inspiring. And I love the stories of, you know, these, all of these women that you've captured across the globe doing amazing work. And when we can have um, despondent moments thinking the problem is too great, there's countless um, exploitation um, all across the globe. You know, what can I do on just one person to read some of these stories it's just incredible. And one that really, really touched my heart is the story of um, um, uh, Elsie. Elsie Herring. Elsie Herring. Oh, and just how extraordinary um, a person living her life in North Carolina, and it was really fascinating um, to hear her words. You know, she's a great-granddaughter of a freed slave, and I'm sure she hadn't anticipated becoming an environmental activist. But, you know, um, outlining everything that was happening with the, the small family farm next door to her family's uh, property being replaced with a CAFO, which is a concentrated animal feeding operation. And just to hear her talk about um, the impact that's had on her family, her family's health, and to also really dig deeper into um, understanding the environmental racism that underlies that, that, you know, these huge toxic farms are being constructed strategically in poor communities of colour where residents have little political clout to raise, um, you know, a protest. And that, that just struck me, you know, that uh, the extraordinary injustice but the incredible strength and courage of someone like Elsie to say, no, this is wrong, enough is enough, and, you know, we're not going to accept this. I'm so glad you shared her story. Thank you so much for being part of, of getting her incredible story out into the world. And um, what they do in the, in the fields is how they get rid of the manure from the pig farms is they add water to it and they spray it as fertilizer in the fields. But they're spraying it all around her house. There's just some bushes between her home and this, this airborne feces. And so when she walks outside of her house, she always had like her face. She's like, oh, the spray is going again. She had to cover her face. Imagine living that way. And totally like what a hero for being that person who spoke up year after year after year at great personal expense. Yeah. She passed away this year. So um, rest in peace, Elsie Herring. And I think we're all so grateful for her incredible efforts. Absolutely. Rest in power, Elsie. We will share the links with the, um, with the interview so people can go and have a look at Elsie's story and, um, all of the other incredible stories in Unbound as well. Thank you. Yeah. I was wondering if you could speak a bit to the sexism in the animal advocacy movement. Have you heard many stories about this other than the, you know, a lot of women 
doing a lot of work and the men being uh, leaders of organizations. What, yeah, what are, what are some of the other stories that you've heard that you're willing to share? Well, I'll just say that, you know, as we all know, Me Too happened here in the animal rights community as well. And, you know, a lot of truth to power has, has come of that. And we're seeing major shifts in organizations with diversity and inclusion. And um, we're, seeing, we're seeing a lot more women in positions of power. We're seeing a lot more equality. Uh, it's a real conversation. It's inevitable. And um, there's a lot of support for that. So I'm, I'm really pleased with how things are changing. There's a lovely group as well called Encompass that focuses mm. um, on diversity, equity, and inclusion in the animal advocacy movement. They have a new book called, and mm, an, I think yeah. it's called Anti-Racism in Animal yeah. Rights. That's um, Jasmine Singer from Our Hen House, among other things. Yeah. I've been yes. meaning to reach out to her yeah. to um, about this book is anti-racism in animal advocacy movement. That's also so prominent and um, something we'd like to cover on freedom of species here as well. Fantastic. Just to wrap up, are there any plans for for future work that you're that you've got going on? Well, I've just finished two and a half weeks of a really exciting shoots uh, in food tech. <laughs> so I have a lot of faith in plant-based foods and food technology that they're using to produce uh, cultivated meat. And um, so I, I photographed at a bunch of companies that are, are you know, working on this. Uh, I ate a mycoprotein steak the other day, which is like a, a steak made of fungi. Mm. It's so good. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we're not seeing a lot of that right now. We're seeing pea proteins and a lot of other ingredients, but mushrooms, I think, are going to be fantastic in the movement away from animal agriculture towards more plant-based agriculture. And there's a lot of investment going in this way, going this way. That's good. Um, and do you know Miyoko Shinner? No. So Miyoko's cheese. Uh, she just had another $50 million invested in her cashew cheese company. Mm. She's just kicking ass. And so I got to photograph at her plant and I got to photograph her for the Unbound project. So that's coming out soon. And um so, you know, I, I'm really excited about telling those positive stories mm. and creating really nice visuals of people who are like food tech, you know, like cultivated meat. What's that? But you can, you know, make it really exciting. And that's part of my job as a photographer. And ongoing, we have um, a lot of investigations. We have uh, investigations happening globally right now. We Animals is not just me. It's 45 contributors. We give assignments. We, we mentor a lot of people through our masterclass program. <laughs> And uh, we're also launching our first fellowship. And so this is a paid year-long mm. uh, fellowship. So it's funding for someone to continue and to complete or to start and complete a project in animal photojournalism, focusing specifically on factory farmed animals. So there's a lot going on. Uh, the project We Animals used to be just me, but now it's a team of 10, lots of contributors. Uh, a lot of eyes on our work and media is using our work more and more, which I'm thrilled to say. Uh, it tells me that what we're doing is necessary and, and uh, you know, part of the zeitgeist right now. And we're able to do it because of donors and we're able to do it because of grants. And so I'm super, super thankful. You know, I used to pay for all this work shooting weddings 
I've shot over 500 weddings to, mm-hmm. you know, to make money to pay for the documentary work that I wanted to do, but I don't have to do that anymore. And uh, so I'm really excited to see how We Animals Media continues to grow. Yeah. So time flies and we have to wrap up already. It goes so quickly, doesn't yes. it? Yeah. Well, it goes slowly when the conversation's going poorly, but it, it didn't. So <laughs> we're good. <laughs> That's good to hear. Yeah. Thank you so much, Joe, for your time to come on the show and, and talk about your work in Hidden. It's been absolutely amazing to have you. I'm so appreciative. Thank you for helping me to give these stories a platform and these animals visibility is so needed. So kudos to you and thank you so much for what you do. Thank you. Thanks so much, Joanne. And we will be um, sharing links to some of your other projects and amazing books as well, which we just didn't have enough time to talk about, Captive, etc. You talked you talked about it so well. Yeah. <laughs> we we really encourage people to um, to have a look at all of those projects as well, uh, because they're just really inspiring. And I think we really need to um, hold on to the amazing work that is being done by people all across the globe. Thank you so much, guys. Freedom of Species will be back next Sunday afternoon at 1 p.m. You can stay in touch with us via Facebook, where we are Freedom of Species, Twitter, FOS Radio. And of course, you can send an email to freedomofspecies at gmail.com. We're going to end with the song Twisting Words by Maisha. My foot is a river, but the skipping stones. They don't freeze, come no one to what you think I've choked. So shatter all the ashes, trying to keep me broke. You break up all the truth, I'm gonna leave no hope. Tell me why you keep me running now. Till the thoughts that ain't nothing now. Tell me why you keep me running now. Stop.
been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.